Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we explore issues brought up in the previous week's study of Daf Yomi or overarching topics affecting the Masechet being studied. Uh, and we look at them in greater detail and work on some of our uh, methodology and skills uh, over the course of roughly 45 minutes to an hour uh, of study each week. My name is Yitzhak Et Shalom, and I'm delighted to be studying Masachat Shabbat with you. And this is really part two of an introductory shiur to Masachat Shabbat. Um, it, even though this shiur is a standalone, it works much better if you have a chance to listen to the, if you already did, or have a chance to listen to the previous week's shiur, to last week's shiur. Um, and we're going to pick up, as you can see, the source sheet, the first Six sources are the last six sources that were on the previous page that we already studied. We'll just quickly review them uh, here together because the focus of this entire shiur is one word, and the word is intent. Now, the word intent plays out in three different ways in Hilchot Shabbat. One of them, two of them we spoke about last week. One of them is called Mitasek. The other one is Melacha She'enatzvichal Legufa. And the third one, this will be the main focus of this week's shiur, is davar she'eno mitkaven. Now, just as an a priori observation, whenever we talk about categories in halacha or concepts in halacha, we always have to ask, are these concepts local to the area of halacha that we're studying? Are they shared within some other disciplines or are they omniversal within the world of halacha? So for instance, um, a word that we're going to be using in a different context, but the word kavana, which means intent or focus. Now, kavana is something that applies in many, many areas of halacha, including in damages, uh, including in uh, murder, um, including in tumat kelim, if you're making a vessel and your intent is to continue working on it. Uh, to give it another uh, coat of paint or whatever what it may be, then that clea is not yet subject or vulnerable to Tuma. But if, on the other hand, you change your intent and say, I'm done, then it now changes its status and becomes a clea. So te- intent plays a critical role there. We're all, of course, familiar with intent when it comes to fulfilling mitzvot. And so, for instance, when famously, when the Baal Tkiah is about to blow the shofar for everyone, uh, the announcement is made that he has in mind to fulfill it on behalf of everybody else. Everyone should have in mind to be outside the mitzvah, etc. And that is a broad area of kavanah. Kavanah is something that doesn't apply in every area of halacha, but it is quite ubiquitous, ubiquitous in halacha. And yet, and here's the catch on it, the word kavanah may have different applications, different meanings. In last week's shiur, we talked about avot and toladot. And the hierarchical system of categories and subcategories, or categories that included items in the category. And I pointed out that avot and toladot is a nomenclature which is used in three different disciplines in halacha, in Shabbat, um, and, as, and as an extension of that in Yom Tov, uh, in uh, Nizikin, and in Tumah v'tahara. And broadly, the the meaning of avot and toladot and the application of avot and toladot is consistent between Shabbat and Nezikin, in that it doesn't matter whether you did an Av or a Tolada on Shabbat, either way you have full liability. And in the same way, it doesn't matter if the damage you did is classified as an Av or a Tolada, you still have to pay whatever the payment may be. Whereas in the world of Tumah, Av and Tolada is more of a generational thing. 
such that the Av is the source of Tumah, and the Tolada is, is the thing which had contact with it, and its Tolada is further away, and after several steps of that, the Tumah ceases to have an impact. And so Avot and Toladot are not used in necessarily the same, in the same way, even though there's a common phrase. In the same way, the notion of Kavanah um, has special meanings in certain areas of Halakha. So for instance, as I mentioned, in the laws of Tumat Kelim, uh, if you uh, if you are an artisan and you're making a clay or uh, a bowl, whatever it may be, and you've decided to leave it raw and not to put that extra coat of paint on it or to buff it, then it's already a clay and it's makabel tuma. If, on the other hand, you're going to go through several other processes and when you put it aside that night, uh, you intend the next morning to do more work on it, it's not Makabal Tuma. And if a dead rodent crawls up and dies, a rodent crawls up and, sorry, dead rodents can't, can't crawl, but a rodent crawls into it and dies inside of it, it's not Tameh, even though the Shratzim are Matameh when they're dead, uh, because it's not a Kli yet. If, on the other hand, when you went to, to bed that night, you said, oh, I'm finished, tomorrow I'm going to put it on the shelf for sale, then you have a very different story. So Kavanah has one particular kind of meaning there. Um, kavanah, when it comes to uh, to nizikin, is not just an intent of an act, but an intent of damage, perhaps. And uh, then, of course, there's a whole world of kavanah in ritual mitzvot. So kavanah, the one that I mentioned earlier, is you intending with your act to fulfill a mitzvah. Uh, and then the question of mitzvot tzrichot kavanah, can you fulfill a mitzvah, even if you didn't have intent to fulfill the mitzvah? Uh, and that's a discussion of Machloket and the Gemara and the Rishonim. And then there's that very special Kavanah that we are all familiar with in the area of recitations and specifically in the area of Tefillah. And that is Tefillah below Kavanah, not Tefillah. That Tefillah without intent is not Tefillah, but what kind of intent is that? Is that the same kind of intent as fulfilling the mitzvah of Tefillah, or is it a different kind of intent of paying attention to the words? Or as Reb Chaim famously points out in one of his Early parts of the uh, the in his um, in his monumental work on the Rambam, that there's a special kind of kavanah for tefillah, which is intent and focus and awareness that you're standing before God. And so the word kavanah may be common to different areas, and yet may be understood and applied in different ways. And we're going to see that play out here in the area of Shabbat. Intent plays a critical role. We already saw that last week, and so let's get right to the sources. And uh, again, the first six sources. We're in last week's shiur. We're going to quickly go over them and then move on because, uh, as I said, the issue of kavanah plays out in three different ways. So we'll see it here. In the uh, area of the construction of the Mishkan, which in last, week, last week's shiur we saw was vital and central to understanding the meaning of melacha on Shabbat, we saw that there was a phrase, melechet machashavet, intentional work or deliberate work. And the Gemara in Sanhedrin, source 2, makes the following observation, Hamit asek b'shabbat patur. If you are mit asek, now mit asek means you were doing one thing and a whole different thing happened. Uh, and the example I gave, the story about the woman who leaned against the wall to be able to hear the drasha more clearly, and there was a switch there that she didn't even know was there, and she flicked it on, and it turned on a gas fire in the, in the, uh, in the fireplace. She didn't do anything, because she was involved in leaning on the wall, and she wasn't even aware of the switch there and certainly is not liable for mavir, uh, for inflaming. And the reason the mitaseik b'shabbat is exempt is and here they quote the pasuk in source 1, 
that what the Torah prohibits is Malachat Machshevet. Now, of course, Malachat Machshevet is not mentioned anywhere in the Torah in the context of Shabbat. It's mentioned in the context of the Mishkan, deliberate action. But the point is that any action that's going to be reckoned as your action for liability on Shabbat has to be an action that you meant to do. So stage one is the action that I did was what I wanted to do. And there's all sorts of examples of that, um, specifically in Masechet Kretot, uh, they talk about, and we'll we'll see one example from Kretot, but uh, from in a different angle. But in Masachat Kretot, there's lots of examples of that where you intended to pick up this piece of meat and by accident took a different one, and one was Shuman and was Chelev, etc. Um, the uh, the Gemara and Chagiga makes an observation that we that we thought was a little bit unusual because in the Mishnah at the end of the first parak it says that Hilchot Shabbat, source three. That the laws of Shabbat are relative to korbanot and things of that sort, which have lots and lots of text in the Torah. They have, it's like mountains hanging by a thin hair. Why? There's very little text of the Torah and lots of halachot, meaning it's mainly Torah Shabbat pet. So the Gemara immediately asks in source 3, What do you mean? It says in the Torah. So it's needed for a case like this that Rabbi Abba mentioned. If somebody digs a hole on Shabbat and only needs the dirt, then he's exempt. And this is the second area of intent that we dealt with last week which was meaning I'm doing an action and it's the action I intend. It's not mitasek. But my purpose is not the purpose of the malacha. Meaning, what's the malacha of digging a hole? It's making a hole. Here I'm making a hole not because I want the hole. I want the dirt. I'd be just as happy if there were a pile of dirt without a hole. And so they have to call malacha she'natzricha legufa. A malacha not needed for itself. So... The God then goes on and says that even Rabbi Yehuda, who says, would agree here that you're patur. When does Rabbi Yehuda say that you're liable for, even though your intent was not the intent of the malacha, as it were, is when you end up creating something or making something positive. Here, you made a hole. A hole is a kilkul, is a destructive action. Okay, so that's why we said that Hilchot Shabbat are karinatli misa'ara. And then they give an explanation of why is it called that? Because malachat machshevet asra Torah malachat machshevet loktiva. It's a fascinating statement considering what we just saw in Sanhedrin. It says that the entire reasoning behind this is because intent is inherent and vital and a sine qua non for a, uh, an action on Shabbat. And that's based on the phrase Malachat Machshavet, but Malachat Machshavet isn't written in the Torah. Well, indeed, it's not written in the Torah, as we said, in the context of Shabbat, but it is written in the Torah in the context of the Mishkan from where we get it. Okay, the uh, famous example of Malachat Shenat which is source four, I'll just mention it outside of the text, is Carrying a dead body. Now, the Mishnah there talks about if you carry a live person outside, if you carry a person outside in Rishut Rabim uh, on Shabbat, you're exempt because the live person could walk by himself. I'm not talking about a baby or somebody who's uh, totally infirm. I'm talking about a person who could walk on their own. 
and you carry them, you're exempt. Doesn't mean you're allowed to, it means you're exempt. And therefore, they said if you carry them out on a bed, you're exempt even for the bed because the bed is subservient to the person. It's secondary to the person, ancillary to the person. And the main thing is you're carrying the person. You wouldn't carry the bed out. You're carrying the person. The, uh, however, if you carry a dead person out, then you're chayav. Rabbi Shimon says you're patur for the dead person also. That's because it's malachash and atzichalagufa, meaning I don't want the dead person there outside. I just don't want the dead person here inside. And so therefore, just like with digging the hole, it's not that I want this hole, I just want the dirt, and the only way to get the dirt is to dig the hole. So that's the classic example, and we have another example here from Masachat Kretot, uh, from, from, the, uh, from Dav Chaf, where it says, Let's say that you're stoking coals, but not stoking coals to make a fire. You're stoking coals because you want to get your hands near them and warm. And then they ended up inflaming. And the, we quote two brightot, one that says you're chayav, one says you're patur. And then the Gemara says that the one who says chayav is Rabbi Yehuda, the one who says patur is Rabbi Shimon, because it's malachash In other words, I knew what I was doing, not mitasek, I intended to do the action that I was doing, which was to inflame them, but my intent in inflaming them was not to make a fire. My intent in inflaming them was to bring them close so that I would be able to warm up uh, to them. And so that's that then falls along the fault lines of the machloket between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon about whether malacha she'inat tzricha legufa chayav aleha, whether you're liable for a malacha she'inat tzricha legufa. And then we saw how the Rambam laid it out. And the Rambam is always worth reviewing. Everything's always worth, worth reviewing. But the Rambam's language is so stellar and clear. Kol ha'oseh malacha b'shabbat. So if you do malacha on Shabbat, even though you didn't need the essence of the malacha, you're still liable because he rules like Rabbi Yehuda. And he gives examples. You put out a candle. Now remember, mechabeh is one of the 39 avot malachot, extinguishing a flame. But you extinguish the flame, and there's the famous Mishnah in Bamehavat Likin, because you wanted to spare the oil, you wanted to spare the wick, uh, you wanted to make sure that a fire didn't break out, you want to make sure that the uh, that the oil lamp didn't crack. Then you are chayav. kibui malacha. After all, extinguishing is a malacha. And you intended to extinguish, so you, you're doing what you intended. There's no mitasek here. Now, his statement, is something that's going to take us to our next section, but he says, even though you didn't need the, the essence of the extinguishing, you'd be happier if it wasn't on it, if the candle wasn't lit at all. And you only put it out to save oil, to save the, the, the lamp, to save the wick. You're still chayav. Let's say you have something dangerous outside, and you either move it outside, or you extinguish it outside or something. You're only doing it so people shouldn't get hurt. You'd be happier if it weren't there at all. Just like with our dead guy in the house, we'd be much happier if he weren't there at all. We'd probably be happier if he wasn't there or if he was alive. But the fact is he's alive, so we don't want to have him in the house. That's called malachashin enatzricha legufa. 
So he says, Vampi Shayno Tsurich Lagufa Kibur El Gufa Avara El Archik Hazezek Hayezek Hayezek Hayab. So even though you didn't need the essence of the extinguishing, it's not like you needed ashes, and that's why you extinguish it. You extinguish it because you didn't want it there at all, or you moved the, the thorns, not because you wanted the thorns over there because you were going to play a game with them, but just didn't want them here because they were in people's way and they're going to hurt. Nonetheless, Yechayav, Echein Kol Kayotze Bazet. Good. Okay. Um, the, uh, the next piece um, is related, and as I mentioned in the introductory remarks, we have concepts in halacha which become, in some cases, omniversal throughout the system, and in some cases they are just ubiquitous, meaning we find them in lots of different places, but they're not everywhere. Almost all concepts, very few concepts are really everywhere, but many of them spread across a number of disciplines, and that's the one that we're going to deal with today, and that is davar she'ino mitkaven, something that you'd not intend. Now, we have to clarify what the Varshino Mit Kavain is because it sounds sneakily a lot like Mitasek. And on the other hand, it sounds more like Malachashinatsuchalagufa. And interesting, we're going to find a a similar machloket about the Varshino Mit Kavain because the two players will be Rabbi Shimon, who takes the lenient position, and Rabbi Yuda, who takes the stringent position. But remember, when it came to Malachashinatsuchalagufa, Rabbi Yuda took the stringent position of saying, Chayav, you're liable. Rabbi Shimon said, Patur, you're exempt. Not that you're allowed to do it, but you're exempt. When it comes to the Varshemit Kavain, we're going to find the stakes different, uh, and, but the same two Chachamim disagreeing. All right, let's start here. We're going to start, not in Shabbat, we're going to start with a couple of examples, uh, with one example away from Shabbat in the area of Nazir. Remember that when one takes an oath of Nazirut, um, perhaps the most famous thing that that we are aware of is that the Nazir doesn't shave or cut his hair. And uh, so Nazir so he can shampoo his hair, but also he can't comb it out. This is a Mishnah in Nazir, but the main part we're concerned with is so he can shampoo it, but not comb it. Now, the problem here is, well, we'll see in the Gemara right away, in Daf Membet, so Mani Rabbi Shimon He. So we identify the author of this Mishnah as being Rabbi Shimon, or somebody who agrees with Rabbi Shimon. Why? Because Rabbi Shimon famously says, Davar She'ein Mitkaven Mutar, which means, I'm doing Act A. I'm intending to do Act A. Result X may very likely happen, and result X is a prohibition. But that's not my intent here. My intent in washing my hair is not to get hairs out of my head. My intent in washing my hair is to make my hair clean. Totally permissible. However, it's likely that when washing my hair, some hairs will come out, which is the prohibition. Rabbi Shimon says, since my intent was not to get the hair out of my head, therefore it's davarshanumit kavain. So davarshanumit kavain doesn't mean like mitasek, I wasn't intending to do that action at all, but rather... I intended to do the action, but my goal in doing the action was a totally permissible goal. Now, how is that different than The answer is that when I'm carrying the dead body outside, my goal in doing this is an action which is a malacha. But remember my, and that's why even Rabbi Shimon agrees that it's asur. However, remember that my focus on doing this is not for the purpose of accomplishing the malacha, but rather negating the opposite. I don't want him in the house. I don't want that coal in the street. 
Not, not that I want to move it to the other place, but I wish it were not there at all. Here, Davar Shemit coming is something else. And we're going to see some of the classic examples in a minute, but let's finish it through with Nazir. So the Gemara then asks, Aval lo sorek ata'an rabanan. Now, a methodological note about this. We understand that the Mishnayot, that Rabbi Yunanasi assembled and winnowed and finally decided which ones would be part of the canon, all oral, but part of the canon, and, uh, and which ones would be outside of the canon, which we call Brita. Uh, we understand that those Mishnah came from a number of different schools. And some Mishnah represent the school of Rabbi Kiva, and others the school of Rabbi Ishmael. Some represent the school of Rabbi Meir, and some others of the school of Rabbi Yehuda. We understood that. However, we start with the base assumption that a single Mishnah will represent a, a cohesive position and a singular position, and won't, ta- won't have two parts of it which speak from contradictory positions. So the question is, Nazir Chofef Umefasfes... So an Azir can wash his hair, but he can't comb his hair. So can wash his hair sounds like Rabbi Shimon, because after all, hair may come out, but that's not your intent. Then why can't he comb it? So the Gemara says, Sounds like it is Rabbanan here at Rabbi Yehuda. So Rabbi Shimon was safe for Rabbanan? And this is a challenge. Are we going to claim that half of the Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon, and right afterwards is a statement which is the not Rabbi Shimon position? So Amar Rabba Kula Rabbi Shimon here. So Rabbi defends it by saying the entire Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon, and he says why? Anybody who combs his hair is trying to get loose hairs out. In other words, he says, by definition, combing your hair is an act of intending to get the hair out. So it's not no longer davar shemit kavain. If all you want to do is clean your hair, you'd wash it. He says combing it. The intent is to any loose pieces to get them out. Now, agree or disagree with Rabbi's assessment about why people comb their hair and who we're we talking about, and is it beard hair, is it facial, facial hair, uh, you know, the skull hair? Not a problem now. Point is that Rabbi Shimon, the Rabbi defends it by saying, this is not a case of Dovar Shenomit Kavain, because this is, this is a case where, by, by definition, because of the act you're doing, you really are intending the prohibition. And now watch how the Rambam rules, because the Rambam rules like Rabbi Shimon, when it comes to the Varshinamit Kavain, which is the Varshinamit Kavain Mutar. Not that you're exempt, you're allowed to do it. And we're going to see the classic example a little bit of the way down, but we're going to warm up. So the Rambam's ruling here in Hechot Nazirut Nazir Chofef al Sa'aro Biado Bechochech Bitsifornav. The Rambam says the Nazir can shampoo his hair, he can scratch his skull with his with his uh, fingernails, and if hair comes out, don't have to worry about it. His intent was not to get rid of hair. And it's possible that hair won't come out. We'll see why he adds those three words in later on in the third and final section of the shir. He should not use a comb. This is based on the end of the Mishnah to use dirt. They would use it as part of the shampoo because those things certainly will take out hair. But if he does it, he's not okay. He's not liable, which means he's going to say, I'm going to rule like Rabbi Shimon. When it's possible that the result will happen, the undesired result will happen, but it's possible it won't, is permissive, permissible. 
Um, and when the undesired result is assured to happen, it's prohibited, but you're not liable. Okay, good. Now let's get to Shabbat. And here's the setup. The setup is, is the Mishnah uh, and the Gemara here from the, uh, from the 13th Perak. From the 13th Perak. Tzvi shenichnas l'bayit. 12th Perak. L'bayit v'nei alachad b'fanav. Remember, one of the malachot is tzad tzvi. Trapping. And the trapping, the example used in, in the list of the avot malachot is trapping a deer. So tzvi shenichnas l'bayit. Let's say a deer walked into your house. A house. And then you lock the door. You're liable because you just trapped him. And this goes to the general rule in the 10th parak that if two people do a malacha that could be done by either one of them alone, then they're both exempt. So if two of them together close the door, they're exempt. All right, so this is another discussion about what if the door is so difficult to close that it takes two people and they both do it, then they both are liable. Rishimon Poter, Rishimon exempts it. It's based on something actually in this week's parashat. Ba'asota, uh, only if one person does it. You can't have a joint liability for chatat. But that's not our problem. Now, the Okay, if you trap a lion, you're not chayiv until you get him into a cage that's secure. Okay. The next Mishnah. So one guy sat down in front of a door. So the, the deer walked into the house, and now instead of closing the door, you sat down in front of the doorway, but you didn't fill the doorway. The deer could still get out. And a guy sits down next to you, and now the door the doorway is blocked. The second guy is liable because he did the trapping. Let's say a guy sat down and filled the doorway. Another guy came and sat next to him. There's a little room. Even though the first guy gets up and walks away, he's still liable. Why? It's like you walk out of your house and you lock the door and it turns out that there's a deer in there. Which means, to some extent, we're talking here about intent. But we'll see it fully presented in the Tosefta in Source 11. I just brought Source 10 so we get the kind of familiarity with the parameters of the issue of Tzedat. So the uh, the first Tosefta quoted here, which is in Perakut Bet of Tosefta of Shabbat Halacha Vav, um, is similar to this previous Mishnah. Two guys sat down together in front of the door. They're both exempt because we can't really identify which came at the same time. Um, if one guy sat down, then another guy sat down, or it's clear who sat down first. If the first guy filled up the door, we assume that he's Chayav, the other guy's Patur. So a guy sat down in the front of the door, and the other guy came and trapped the, the, the deer inside. Oddly enough, the guy sitting in front of the door is liable, and the guy in the inside is exempt. So, um, if one guy sat in front of the door and another guy sat inside of that and another guy sat outside of that, the guy who's sitting by the door is Chayav and the two guys, one further outside, one further inside, are Patur. Okay. And that's all there for this, for our purposes. Let's say a guy sits down on the door and turns out there's a deer inside. He didn't know it. 
He's intended to sit down. He's going to stay there till the end of Shabbos because he wants to sit there. Patur, why? Meaning he was trapped before his intent. Meaning his intent in sitting down was to sit down in front of the door. He sat down in front of the door and then, which we, and then he had trapped the deer effectively, and then he found out about it. So he says, you know what? I'm going to stay here for the rest of the day and after Shabbat I'll have a deer. Here's the rule. You're only chayav if you intend to trap. If you trap before you intend, then you're patur. Which means, sequence matters here. Which means that when you act, your act has to be for the purpose of trapping. Your act can't be for the purpose of sitting in front of the door. And then when you find out that a deer is there, you just don't get up. Because now you want to keep the deer inside and, and have it. You, you, the sequence of intent uh, before action is critical. And now we're going to, again, step away from Shabbat for a minute to another area uh, to see that where Davar Shemit Kavain plays a role. The Mishnah Masachat Kilayim, talking about Shatnas, raises the following problem. How do people who are selling clothes, how do they carry their wares about? So, Mochrech Sut Mochrin Kedarkan. They can sell them in the normal way, which means they can wear those clothes, which are shatnas. As long as they don't intend in the summer to have these cool clothes protect them from the sun or whatever, and during the winter to protect them from the rain. Right? The, the really pious people would put them on a stick in back of them and not wear them. But evidently, the way people would sell clothes is they'd put a few of these clothes on and they'd parade or up and down, and then if someone would say, I want to buy that garment, they can wear these shatna's clothes. Now, this is understood by the Gemara in several places to be the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, again, who says, Davar Shemit Kavain Mutar. Now, this has nothing to do with Shabbat, but again, pointing out that my intent in doing this is not to get warmth or comfort or protection from these clothes. It is to display them in order to sell them. And therefore, the fact that I am getting some warmth, that's fine as long as that's not my intent. Now, that leads us to the very famous statement of Rabbi Shimon, which is sort of the flagship statement of the whole issue of Davar Shemit Kavain, which shows up first in this Tosefta. You see, it's called Tosefta Yom Tov because the rabbis referred to the Masachet we call Beitzah as Masachet Yom Tov. Because that's what it's really about, Yom Tov. We call it Masachat Beitzah because the very first Mishnah deals with the issue of Beitzah Shnol Dabi Yom Tov. Rabbi Shimon Omer, here we go. Gorer Adam Mita Kisei Vesafsal Vekatedra Etzlo B'Shabbat. That's the statement of Rabbi Shimon. What does it mean? A person may drag a bed, a chair, a bench, a fancy chair, a katedra, uh, to him on Shabbat, and certainly he could do it on Yom Tov. Now, what does he mean? So here's the problem. Remember, there's nothing paved in their world. And everything is dirt. And if you dig a hole in the dirt or dig a trench in the dirt, you are liable midaraita for chofer digging, which is a tolda of choresh, of plowing. And that is a violation deoraita. And nonetheless, Rabbi Shimon says, if you have a bench, let's say, on one side of your yard, and it's sunny there, and you want to read in the shade, or vice versa, and you, this is all enclosed, and you schlep 
your bench from one side to the other, schlep, not pick up, but drag, and drag it, which means you're making some sort of a, a ditch. You're going to be making some sort of a striation in the ground. It's totally permissible as long as your intent is not to make a ditch. This is the Varshamit Kavin, and this is Rabbi Shimon. Okay, and now we're going to see how this, what the, the stopper of this is, uh, of the issue of of uh, of Darshamit Kavain, which commonly, by the way, is known as uh, as Greira. Greira means dragging, and it's called Greira because of this particular halacha. This halacha is quoted several times in Shas, um, and uh, and. It has the addendum that we're going to see, and we're going to focus on this, the last third of the shiur, which is properly titled Psikresha, but we'll see what Psikresha means and why it's called that. Um, the Ketav uh, Ivri that is uh, set between sources 13 and 14 actually says, Modeh Rabbi Shimon v'psikresha v'lo yamut. Okay, just as long as we're clear. Um, okay, and we'll see what that means. Let's go again to an area outside of Shabbat. Because again, I'm trying to demonstrate that unlike mitasek um, and unlike malachashen etzuichal gufa, davarshen mitkaven is a concept which applies throughout halacha or in many many areas of halacha. We've seen it so far in the area of uh, of shatnez. We've seen it in the area of uh, nazir and shaving, and now we're going to see it in the third area. The Torah commands us, as we all know, in source 14, when you have a baby boy. That on the eighth day you do Brit Milah. Brit Milah involves cutting part of the skin. On the other hand, the Torah prohibits the following cutting. In Parshat Kitetse, Be very careful about Negatzarat, meaning if you have a, uh, an lesion on the skin which is deemed to be Tzarat, they have to be careful with it. And Chazal understand that means you're not allowed to cut it, right? Not allowed to cut it. Uh, now, look at source 16. You do brit milah even though there is a baharet yakots. You cut it, meaning there is, if the child has tzarat on that spot, you cut it anyways. So how do I fulfill the prohibition of not cutting it? Anywhere else on the body or any other day in his life besides the eighth day of his, since he's born. Maybe the opposite. Maybe includes everything and everywhere. When do I say in a normal case where a kid does not have bahar? Therefore, it says, Okay, good. So that's the Midrash Halacha, very famous Midrash Halacha, that teaches us that you do Brit Milah even when it involves violating Hisham and and it's one of the examples of the rules that's dealt with at the beginning of Masachet Yivamot of mitzvah tasei doche lo tasei, that when you have a mitzvah tasei to do, but the only way to do it is to violate a lo tasei, in certain circumstances you do it, not always. Now, the Gemara then goes on, Amamar, basar vishi yisham baheret yimod, So that's Rabbi Shia's words. Halam alikra, the question is, what do I need a pasuk to tell me I do brit milah, even though it cuts the, the, the baheret? Because since we rule like Rabbi Shimon, and Rabbi Shimon says, My intent here is not to get rid of the tzarat. My intent is just to do brit milah. 
right? The fact that Tzorat's in the way, that's not what I'm trying to do. So therefore, I don't need a pasuk to permit it. It should be inherent in the legal machinations here, or the legal mechanics more appropriately, uh, to allow me to do it. So Amar Rabbi Yehuda. The answer is that this is coming to tell me that even Rabbi Yehuda would allow it. Because Rabbi Yehuda says, we've already talked about this, by the way, Rabbi Yehuda does prohibit dragging a bench on the ground on Shabbat because it's likely that you're going to end up making a ditch. Rabbi Shimon says, since that's not your intent, not the case. However, Rabbi Shimon will have a stopper on that. We'll see that right away. Rav Amar Afilu Tema Rabbi Shimon. Rav says, Abaye, you don't need to do that. You could say that even Rabbi Shimon is the, is, would sign on to this Midrash Halacha and say, you need a Pasuk to tell me that you do Brit Milah even though it's going to violate Hishamer because even though it's Tavar Shemit Kavain, Modeh Rabbi Shimon Bepsik Reshe Velo Yamut. Rabbi Shimon agrees. In a case of Psik Reshe Veloyamut, what does Psik Reshe Veloyamut literally mean? We're going to see in a couple minutes uh, how to interpret it. For right now, we're going to call it inevitability, which means Rabbi Shimon will agree that when the act that you're doing will inevitably and inherently lead to the prohibited result, then it's prohibited. And therefore, Rabbi Shimon would say, yes, my intent here is to do Brit Milah not to cut the Baharat. But since the Baharat's there, I'm by definition going to be cutting the Baharat. It's impossible to do one without the other. Therefore, I will agree that it's prohibited. And therefore, without the Pasuk directing me to do Brit Milah anyways, I wouldn't have done it. And that's his reason. Now, parenthetically, the Gemara asks, Abaya doesn't accept that? Why did Abaya have to push Rabbi Yudin in here? Doesn't Abaya himself say that Rabbi Shimon agrees in a Psik the answer is Vabaya Varava Damitavayu. This is quoted numerous times in Shas. Abaya Varava agree and say, Rabbi Shimon concedes in a case of a Psikresha that it is prohibited. The answer is Savra. This is the point at which Abaye heard it from Rava and then he accepted it. Meaning Abaye did not buy into the idea that Rabbi Shimon agrees. He says, Rabbi Shimon says, I don't care what the results are, what the statistic probability or the inevitability of the prohibited result is, if that's not your intent, it's permitted. And then he stepped aside and said, I accept what Rava says, which is if it's a psik reshe, then uh, it, will, uh, it will be prohibited even according to Rabbi Shimon. And therefore, to put that together, since there's no way to do brit milah in this very unusual case, without uh, violating Hishamer. Therefore, Davar Shemit Kavain is no longer as strong as it was. It may not exist even at all. We'll see that towards the end of the Shi'ur. And therefore, even Rabbi Shimon would say it's prohibited, if I, except for the fact that I have a pasuk driving me to do Brit Milah anyways. Okay, let's go to the third parak of Masachat Sukkah. Now this really is connected to Shabbat, as you'll see. Hadas Hagazul Vayavesh. Famously, this parak is Lulav Hagazul. It talks about one Mishnah, about each of the four Minim, and which kind of uh, either halachic status or physical state will invalidate it. And get to the Hadas in the second Mishnah. If it's stolen, if it's dried up, it's Pasul. This is the myrtle. So if there's more um, berries than the, than the leaves, then it's pasul. But if you 
took off some of the berries, so there's now more leaves than berries. It's okay. You're not allowed to do that on Yom Tov. You'd have to do that beforehand. Now, the Gemara then comments, We have an opinion that Rabbi Shimon's son says that you're allowed to. Now, but wait a second, you're fixing it. You're now making this hadas a kosher hadas. So they're not bothered by the problem of taking the buds off of the stem but as an inherent act, but the fact is the result is you're making this a valid hadas now. Maybe you took the berries off to eat them. You know, there was different intent. Rabbi Shimon must hold like his father. In other words, why does he say you're allowed to do this on Yom Tov? Because if you take the berries not to make the Hadas kosher, you may take the berries because you want to eat them. And then, turns out, I just ate five berries, and now this Hadas has more leaves than berries. It's kosher. That's permissible. But, that won't help because it's a psikresha, meaning you can't take the berries off without taking the berries off. In other words, the, the result is inevitable. If you have another hadas, which means that it's not as if this made you suddenly have a, 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 a kosher hadas, or you had another set of arvaminim, and therefore it's not considered to be makab hadash, not considered to be matakin mana. But the point is here that we talk about that, that on the face of it, this looks like a psikresha. And Rashi here tells us what psikresha means. Psikresha, it's a And he says, and now this is the one place where Rashi kind of lays out what a psikresha is, what that phrase means. Literally what it means is, if you cut off its head, will it not die? A guy says, I'm going to cut the head off of this animal on Shabbat. I don't want it to die. Right? In other words, I want to do it because I want to mount a head somewhere. I want to do an experiment, whatever it might be. The kevan de'ev sharsh lotamut kemit kaven chashivle. Now notice Rashi's words. Since it's impossible to cut off the head without the animal dying, it's as if you intended for it to die. So you can't say, well, I didn't want it to die. I just wanted to cut its head off. It's not that in 99.9% of the times you cut its head off, it's going to die. It's not even that in 100% of the times. It's that it's inevitable and inherent in the act of cutting its head off that it's going to die. And Rashi goes on. So when do we say that's when it's possible that the Yisur won't happen. And Rashi brings our flagship example. You can drag the bench and the chair as long as you don't intend to make a ditch. Even though you have reason to think you might make a ditch, step one, you're not intending to make a ditch. Step two, it's possible to drag it and a ditch won't be made. Even when you make a ditch, which is a full malacha, and by the way, even, but when it's 100% inevitable that it's going to, again, not 100%, it's inevitable it's going to happen, then it is considered, then he's modet. Now look at the end of this Rashi. The end of the of our piece of the Gemara was, we're talking about a case where he has another lulav. So he says, Rashi says, you're not fixing things because you don't need it. 
You didn't need this hadas. I had another hadas that was good. It's no longer like a psikresha. Why? When you cut the animal's head off, in the classic example, psikresha, uh, then one way or the other, the animal dies. And that's the result that we want to avoid. There's no way to cut it off without it dying. And that's the prohibited result. But here, you're not necessarily fixing this thing because, think about it, if you have a myrtle branch in December and it has more buds or less buds and more leaves and more leaves, it doesn't matter to you. So the fact that you take some stuff off, let's say that it's Shavuot and you have a myrtle branch and you have some berries and then you eat the berries and now it happens to be there's more leaves than berries, it, you haven't done anything. You haven't been metakein kli because... I don't need it. There's no mitzvah to shake Abraminim on Shavuot. And so therefore, in the same way, if I have another lulav, I'm not metakin kli. But if you had no other lulav or hadas, mana, now you're making it a kli. And again, issues of kavanah and intent. You needed it. So even though your intent was not necessarily to um, to uh, to make a proper kli, you were just getting the berries, but the fact is that there was no way to not make a proper hadas, which you needed because you had no other, you only had two other hadasim, and uh, this is your third, um, without taking the berries off, therefore taking the berries now becomes a psikresha, and therefore you're not allowed to do it. Okay. That's Rashi's take on psikresha. And this cuts into an area that we're not going to discuss. It's beyond what we're going to do. We're going to go into a new area in Bamema uh, Likin in, uh, in the next year. Um, however, it's a, a, an interesting area that the Achronim discuss, uh, which is Psikreshe meaning when something happens, it's inevitable, as we discussed here. That's something you don't want. And maybe it's something you don't care about, or maybe it's something you actually would prefer didn't happen. Is that still a psikresha? And that's going to really come down to machok between Rashi and the Sefer Haruch, Renatan of Rome, who wrote the uh, so the first Talmudic dictionary in the 10th century. And the Sefer Haruch, he wrote uh, in the entry under Psak, there's a whole number of things there. And he writes in psikresha, Perush Misha Chatach Rosho Shalchaya, Kol Yudin Kamchatachat Rosho Yamut. He cut the head off an animal, everybody knows it's going to die. He said, I don't intend for it to die. I want to get some blood out. I need some blood for something. We ignore his words. It's as if you were intending to kill it. Which means you wanted to kill it. In other words, because of the inevitability of it dying, when you cut its head off, it's as if you said, I want to kill it. And whatever you say, we ignore now notice his language. He says, where does Rabbi Shimon disagree with Rabbi Yehuda? It's about Grera. Because when you drag the bench, you might not make a ditch. And even if you made the ditch, it's possible you don't want the ditch. Which means, he's saying, that when you have a psikresha, even a psikresha, it sounds like, meaning it's something you don't want, that's not a psikresha. Because um, it's, it, the result is something that I have no interest in, or perhaps it's even a result that I don't want. Because everything comes down to kavanah, according to the Aruch. And therefore, when you're 
cutting the head off the animal, no matter what you might say, you're intending to kill it. And when you kill it, you accomplished what you wanted. And maybe there was a side piece to it of I wanted the blood, I wanted to mount the head, whatever it might be. But nonetheless, that's what you wanted. It's not the same thing with Greyra. And therefore, what happens with the Psyche Reisha is typically it's something that you want, which would then, come, of course, play out with the whole issue of it's a Psyche Reisha that you don't want, how that would, how that would play out in this Machloket. Okay, we're going to conclude um, with the Rambam in the Halakha, previous to the one that we had at the end of last week's session and in Source 6 of this one. Dvarim HaMutarim. Watch how beautifully the Rambam crystallizes everything. La'asotan b'Shabbat, things that are permitted to do on Shabbat. U'sha'at ha'siyatan, efshash te'asev yuan melacha, shashalot te'asev. When you do them, a melacha may happen, melacha may not happen. Im lonit kaven la'otam melacha reza mutar. If you didn't intend that melacha, it's mutar. Ketzad, and he gives an example. Gorer adam mitah v'chisei v'saf sabachay yotzei ben b'Shabbat, v'ajlod kaven la'achpor charitz pakarka m'shad kuratan. You're allowed to drag a bed. Of course, as long as your intent is not to make a ditch in the in the ground while you're dragging them. So even if you do end up making a ditch, you don't have to worry because that wasn't your intent. You're allowed to walk on grass on Shabbat. Even though you don't want to pull, as long as you don't intend to pull them out, because otherwise it's told out of kotzer. If you end up pulling them out, you don't have to worry. And this is kind of touches in what we saw about Nazir. person can wash his hands with, um, with uh, different uh, kind of uh, salves or whatever it might be. Even though you, and you're evidently your face, even though you don't intend to pull hair out, and if hair comes out, then, then you don't have to worry. And that may be a limitation with Adama that we saw in the case of Nazir, because that certainly will do it. Let's say you have a very thin entrance, and it's made up like a rock wall, and you walk through, and you may break some of the rocks off the thing. That's not your intent. And that has an interesting application, Masachik Tubot. Now, we're not going to look at the Rambam here about Psyche because our time has come to an end. What we're going to do, Mir Sashem, next week is start going into specifics of things that we studied in the Daf. We'll look at some of the Sugyot uh, in, uh, in Bamadlikin. Actually, we're going to take a look at the Sugya of Chanukah, famously in Bamadlikin, in the next podcast. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful, wonderful day. And Mir Sashem, sometime soon, our Shur should be able to meet in person. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we will utilize the technology uh, to be able to study Torah together. Okay, and uh, the world all should have a refuah. And Hashem Yerachem Alamo Vial Olamo.